You're listening to the Darius Daniels Podcast. You know, I recently came across a quote that gave me a revelation that produced a revolution in my life. Now, when I say revelation, this is what I mean. I mean epiphany. In other words, it's one thing for you to comprehend something. It's another thing for what you comprehend to capture you. It's one thing for you to quote unquote, get it. It's another thing for that thing to get you. I mean, I read this quote and it got me. It captured me. It ruined me in a really significant and powerful, profound way. Here's the quote. While everyone else is asking, what do I want to do with my money? You should be asking, what do you want your money to do for you? Oh, what a different and revolutionary approach that was for me, at least. Because the goal in life isn't just to work for money or just to have money, but it is to allow money to work for you, not just to produce the money that you've been created and called to have, but to produce the life you've been created and called to live. So I want, you, I want you to catch me. If money is about money, we aren't understanding money right. Money's not about money. Money's about life. You know, all money is money is a it's currency, it's a form of currency. It's a medium of exchange. It is what we exchange in return for something else that we value. And I believe it's important to use our money in exchange for more than things. But to use our money as a medium of exchange for the life we've been called to live. So the question in just what do I want to do with my money? The question is, what do I want my money to do for me? And family, money is not the most important thing in the world, but it is important. Let's not underemphasize it. And even in the context of our faith, I think our faith has been infected with a degree of Gnosticism, a degree of Gnosticism, this whole idea that that which is invisible and immaterial is superior to that which is visible and material. And yes, we know we place the greater weight and the greater value on spiritual things. I'm not negating that. However, ladies and gentlemen, our life is a holistic life. Our faith is a holistic faith. And even though we will not need some things eternally, we do need them temporarily. And money is one of them. And so the question isn't just what do we want to do with our money? It's what do we want our money to do for us? And I think in the midst of a pandemic, it is incredibly essential and important that we give attention to this area. When we're in the midst of economic uncertainty, it's critical for us to do all that we can to steward the resources that we have well. Because the question isn't just what do I want to do with my money? It is what I want my money to do for me. I actually wrote down four things and I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. You know, one of the things I wrote down is I want my money to give me peace. What does that mean? I mean, money can't buy peace. That's not what I'm saying. But I don't want to have to worry about things that can be fixed with money because life <laughs> is going to give us more than enough to worry about. I just don't want to have to worry about those things. So I think this is important, um, not only for our peace, but also for our purpose. I want to live a generous life. I want to be free to live out of purpose and not out of need. 
And so whoever you are, whatever season of life you're in, what we want to do in this podcast is want to help give you some practical tools and some practical steps to manage this area of our life well. And I'm telling you, my guest is going to help us do that. He's part of the Dave Ramsey team. His name is Anthony O'Neill, and he is the next guest on the Dares Daniels podcast. Listen, everybody, I'm super excited to introduce this guest. I've known this brother for a long time. He's younger than I am. He makes me feel old. But uh, I've just seen the trajectory of his life and his work just skyrocket recently. And um, it's really adding value to the culture. He adds value to my life. And uh, he's a member of the Dave Ramsey team. His name is Anthony O'Neill. Bro, welcome to the Dares Daniels podcast. Hey, man, thank you so much, man. You know this already, but the world has to hear it. You are my preaching hero. Um, I mean, I've I've taken so much stuff from you, man, and made it my own. So I just wanted to say it right now to the entire world. This man, I look up to you and Tony Edmonds. Y'all two are my top two preachers and teachers of the gospel, man. Yeah, he's an incredible, incredible, insanely incredible communicator. Man, love you so much. And thank you for being on the show today. Now, let's get right to it. It's so much I want to talk to you about. So much I want to pick your brain on. But one of the things that... um, I like us to jump into a little bit is really, really practically, right? Um, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. And there are a number of implications of it. So some of it is physical. People are being affected physically by COVID-19. In addition to that, there's the emotional uh, impact of this. It's fear, grief for people who have um, lost loved ones, Um their relational implications, people who are quarantining and chilling. Some couples are not doing well <laughs> being with each other <laughs> so much. Oh man, I should do a podcast on that. But in addition to that, they're like, there are financial ramifications that are very, very real. Yeah. I mean, just record numbers of unemployment. Yep. Some businesses that are really being impacted in ways that they're not going to come back in the same form. So I think it's super important to be very intentional about stewarding our resources well, stretching every dollar, kind of making it count. So let's get right to that. Let's help the people, bro. Just give us a few tips that come to your mind in terms of what we should be thinking in the area of money management, stewardship in the midst of this pandemic. Man, in the midst of this pandemic, let's look at it. I mean, just last week, we got the updated numbers. We're right at about 35 million people have filed for unemployment. Okay, so uh, about 1 million have filed for unemployment just within the last week, uh, brand new ones. And so here, when it comes to stewarding our money right now, let's say if you are on that side of you have a low income to no income coming in and you're on unemployment right now, uh, the number one thing I'm going to say is take care of your four walls. And when I say the four walls, I'm I'm talking about these main things. You're going to take care of your food. You got to have something to eat because you need to live. Mm -hmm. Take care of your 
utilities uh, so that way you can keep your lights and your water on, take care of your uh, transportation and take care of your housing. Um, now, when it comes down to housing, uh, Dr. Darius, there's something that I really want to talk about because a lot of people are, are trying to do deferments. Deferments are fine, uh, but there's this another program out there to where um, if you push it off for three months, she's still going to pay the money in one lump sum. And I want people to avoid that because if you can't afford the payment today, you're not going to be able to afford three to four months in one lump sum down the road. Uh, and so... You know, if you uh, defer it, uh, make sure that you're deferring it to where it goes on the back end of your loan. But if you're just deferring it for three months, you do not want to do that. You, that's not something that you want to do. But that's the very first. Then the second, I'm going to go to the spiritual side. Um, I think oftentimes on during a pandemic or during a crisis, especially financial crisis, the first person or the first thing we cut is God and our tithe and our giving. Mm -hmm. um, I am I am greatly against that because God is the only one that can change things around quickly. And so I'm recommending to everyone, um, you still pay your tithe because you still wanna activate that faith realm. Uh, take care of your four walls and don't worry about paying any other bills right now if you are struggling for uh, finances at this present time. But let's just say for an example, Pastor Darius, you do have money coming in. You're still right now moving forward forward. Now you may slow down a little bit just to be a good steward. Uh, pay, maybe you're paying extra in the house. Maybe you're not paying extra in the house right now, uh, but still be giving, uh, still live below your means and be get on a strong zero base budget. And when I say a zero base budget, I mean, you're going to list your income minus your expenses on a piece of paper. And at the end of that, it should equal out to zero. Mm -hmm. So you're writing down hair, you're writing yes. down um, uh, um, whatever you're doing right now during this pandemic time, because you really shouldn't be going out to restaurants because it's still not wise to go yeah. and sit down at a restaurant, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, get on a strong budget. So those are a few main things that I would say right now when it comes to that. Great. I want to come back to that because I'd, also, I'd like to pick your brain about some practical uh, steps that people could take when it comes to, because I know you said that zero based budget and some people that are familiar with you guys work and the work of the Ramsey team, they're familiar with that. But then there's a large majority of people that may be listening yeah. that aren't familiar with that. I want to have you yeah. unpack that some more and make some recommendations about um, like tools that people people can use who say, Hey, I'm not a pen and paper person. What else? You know, what can I use to do that? Um, <laughs> right. I, but, I feel you on that. but, but let's, um, let's talk a little bit of more. Let's say there are people who, uh, by God's grace have been able to keep their employment. Okay. Let's say as a result of that, their income hasn't changed significantly, significantly in the pandemic, but their expenses have decreased. Let's say yes. a lot of, they're not doing a lot of discretionary spending, right? Restaurants, clothes, whatever. Now, what would you advise them to do with that extra residual income? So let's say if they've Ooh. got, let's say they've got debt. Let's say they got some debt that mm -hmm. exists. Um, mm -hmm. Would you advise that they pay that debt off or mm -hmm. should they hold on to that cash because of the uncertainty of the economy? Like people who are in that position, what advice would you give them? That's a good question. So I'm going to go two ways. Let's say, for an example, you have a guaranteed job and you know you're not going to lose this this job 
in this mm-hmm. income at all. Um, I'm going to recommend that you take all of your extra income right now and go ahead and tack it towards your debt. Start paying things off, especially if you have student loans right now. You're not paying any interest on it right now at all. So now is a great time to get all this stuff attacked towards principal. Um, any kind of debt that you have right now, a lot of companies, credit card companies, um, banks are saying, you know, hey, we're just going to just freeze the interest right now. You use this season to get ahead for the next season. Mm-hmm. And so if you're if you have an extra five hundred dollars, because like you said, you're not going out. Use that. Now, if your job is a rocky job that you may be furloughed here in the next couple of months. No, I don't want you to pay anything extra right now. I want you to stack this. I want you to go ahead, put this in the bank, go ahead and just build up your reserves. Now, once you get to about at least a good three months um, uh, for this reserve, then yes, go ahead and start doing life as normal and start attacking because now you have three months on reserves uh, to if something was to happen. But right now is the best time to start attacking your debt. I just recently released a book called uh, Short Book. Quick read called "Destroy Your Student Loan Debt" because when I when I saw that the government froze the the interest on the student loans, I told my team, "Hey, let's help our people. Let's show them how to take advantage of this season. So this way, uh, when interest do come back on, they're ahead of the game, and hopefully, somebody some of these people can have them paid off." Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to get. To some really practical steps early on in the podcast, because I know these are some really, um, I guess, urgent concerns for a lot of people that are listening to us. Yes. They're like, listen, I need some help right now. Darius, I know you normally shoot the breeze a little bit, but go ahead on and give, <laughs> <laughs> give it to me straight. I need some help. Straight up. But one of the reasons, one of the reasons this matters so much to me, and I want you to speak to this, um, working in this area. One of the reasons that this matters so much to me is because I see the implications of this whole idea of stewarding your resources well or wisely. Mm-hmm. And I see the implications that it has beyond money. So like money's not about money. It isn't. So I got to, I read this somewhere in a book. I can't remember it a while ago and it, and it shifted my mentality and the way I talked to my, my boy about money, my youngest at least. And that is to move from asking the question, what do you want to do with your money to what do you want your money to do for you? Mm. Just, which is really different. So I, I got this list of four things that I want my resources to do for me and that I'm teaching my children, hey, you need to think through it this way. Uh, you know, and one of them for me more than anything is peace. <laughs> peace. So anyway, like I want you to just talk a little bit about that because I'm sure, I mean, in what you've been exposed to, you've seen people who are stressed, like yes. it affects them emotionally, it affects them relationally, it affects them. Yeah. Just kind of talk about the why. We're going to get back into some more what, but I want to pause for a minute. And yeah. help people understand why this is so important. This is not just about money. You know, it's not, you know, and I'm going to go to the why personally for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't said this on any other show, but I, I trust you as my brother to say it here because you'll help me bring it around spiritually correct if I say anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a no cap community, I- Anthony. You just entered the <laughs> no cap zone. Yes. But, you know, uh, you know, here's my why. 
I grew up in, with four parents, two biological parents and two step parents. And my biological mom and other father, because I don't believe in the word step, I loved all of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they got married south of the border in South Carolina. Uh, my mom didn't have a ring. Uh, my mom never had a wedding. She never had a honeymoon. Uh, she's never been out of the United States of America. Um, she, when we were growing up, we never took family vacations. Um, Dr. D, I mean, I remember we only got one pair of shoes a year <laughs> and that one pair of shoes had to last me all year. And if it got a hole in the shoes, I had to put tape on the bottom of the shoes to make sure my socks do not come out wow. and don't let it rain because I'm now I'm on the back side of the shoe trying to jump around the water because I don't want it to get through the hole and the tape that's covering the hole. You're so right. It's not just about, you know, the money aspect. It's about what do you want your money to do for you? Um, I sent my mom and dad uh, on a vacation out of the country for the first time four years ago. And I told myself that I'm getting out of debt, not just so I could be debt free, but so one day I can tell my future wife, yes, we're going to get out of the country. One day I can tell my kids, mm-hmm. um, yes, I'm going to buy you a pair of shoes whenever you need and sometimes whenever you want. But here's the greatest why for me is that I came into this world crying, but I want to leave this world smiling. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to look, at my, look up at my wife, look up at my kids, look up at my grandkids and smile knowing I'm transitioning off to heaven and leaving them with wealth, with peace, with joy, with businesses, with land, with freedom. And so um, when I see people now that I have the opportunity to mentor and to uh, coach them through the process, I see the stress. I see finances uh, causing divorces within our homes. I see finances um, destroying families. Uh, It's bringing on so much negativity. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm asking myself, okay, now that I've gotten out of debt and I've been able to build the wealth that I'm building, now I'm asking myself that question, okay, what do I want my money to do for me while I'm sleeping? And so mm-hmm. that's one thing I'm always looking into. And that's why I'm so passionate about this message uh, because I don't want to work forever, but I want my money to be my number one employee. Yeah. And so that's one thing I'm teaching to young people. No, I love it, bro. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that contradicts any religious values at all. And this, and and this is one of the things I say too. I am a person of faith, not because it's right per se. Mm -hmm. I'm a person of faith because it's best. Yes, sir. It's it's the, (laughs) it's the creator of a thing knows how to get the best out of it. And so our creator and designer knows how life is supposed to be lived. And the fruit of that is, it's not going to be perfection, but it's, it's some of the stuff that you mentioned. It is joy. It bro. It's, yeah, I want to be happy. I don't want to worry about that. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think we I think we underestimate that at times and it's it's really unfortunate. So, um that's why I think talking about stuff like this is important because it does impact our peace. It impacts your peace, it impacts your productivity, it impacts your purpose. Um yeah. and I really feel like getting this part right and doing it well is really a key and critical part of doing life well also. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, speaking of this, one of the things that I've been hearing you talk a lot about recently is the implications of getting this right for a younger generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I were talking before the show today just about 
really the, well, to me, it seems absorbent. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've been in college. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long time since I was in college, ladies and gentlemen. OMG. I got a son that's getting ready to go to college. So that's how long it's been since I was in college. But man, you were just telling me about the exorbitant amount of student loan that many Listen. people are undertaking. I mean, it bothered you so much. You wrote a book about it. So talk to us a little bit about, okay, what did you get exposed to that made you want to write a whole book on this? Yeah. And then what are some, some tips and some keys yeah. that you're going to give people who are struggling wrestling with it? Man. So last year, I think it was right around the middle part of last year. Um, um, I was reading and just studying and I'm in a money space and I really have a heart for that, uh, twin, that high school individual going off into college up into that twenties and thirties. That's really my heart. And so I'm just studying in this world what's happening. And then I come across this article that the number one life goal for a millennial. So that's the twenties and thirties. Their number one life goal is not to start a family. It's not to purchase a home um, is not to enter into their dream career. Their number one life goal is to pay off their student loan debt and not just a student loan debt, but their debt period. And that shook me. And I'm like, how, how, how is it that the American dream is to have freedom is to have a house and to have a family. But the American dream for a millennial is to pay off their debt. 94% of these people. Then as I started just diving in deeper, diving in deeper, the average college student would graduate with about thirty-five dollars to $40,000 in student loan debt. But then a fifth of these young people would graduate with over $200,000 in student loan debt. Mm-hmm. So they're graduating with a mortgage payment, but do not own any real estate. Mm-hmm. And then the individuals who graduate with the college, only 40% of them actually use their degree. So they're spending all this money to get a piece of paper and they're not even using what they paid for. And so I said, you know what? I I, want to make sure that this younger generation coming up um, does not enter into this world. So I wrote the book, Debt Free Degree. And Grateful was the number one bestseller. um, And we sold thousands and thousands of books. But when I wrote that book, the generation now, the 20-something and 30-something said, well, thank you for helping me with my son and with my children, but I have $100,000 in student loan debt. I have $200,000 in student loan debt. What do I do? How do I get out of this? So I wrote the book, uh, a quick read. It's a straight to the point book called um, Destroy Your Student Loan Debt. And here are the practical things. Let me talk to the parents who may be listening uh, to your podcast who have kids like yourself about to go to college. and you helped me out with this because you went to one of these schools. So I love all schools, but mm-hmm. you, you went to Princeton and I love Princeton. Um, but the number one thing that I think parents have to do is look at the school that they can afford, not the best school as far as a name wise, mm-hmm. but what is the school you can afford? Um, I've done a lot of research on where you go to Princeton and nearly 74% of the people graduate with no debt that goes that goes to Princeton. Yeah. I love that. Um, and so I don't have a problem with Princeton, Harvard. Yale, Duke, wherever you go, here's my problem. I don't want you graduating with debt. So if you can go to any of these schools and get it debt free, I'm so for it. Because the number one reason why 
young people are going back home is because they have all this debt. They have all these payments. And so number one thing is choose a school that you can afford. Um, and number two is make sure that you know why you're in school and if, make sure you're going to use that degree. So if you're going to be a school teacher, great. You know what degree to get. Uh, but if you're going to be a welder, you don't need to go to a four-year school to be a welder. You can go to trade school and come out of trade school, spend $15,000 to get that degree. And as soon as you come out, you're making $100,000. You know, so you got to do the research and make sure that the route that you're pursuing your education is the best route for you. And so there's so many different routes from community college, trade schools, traditional four year school or the military. Um, you're one of the most educated people that I know, Dr. D. And I'm pretty sure you agree with this. Education is the most important thing. Now, how you get it may not look the same like everyone else. I agree with that 100 percent. See, even going to schools like whatever school, you know, whatever school someone is going to mention, right? Ivy League or not, it is how you steward your time there. There you go. It's how you develop yourself. Yes, and, sir. you know, as my, my son was considering, um, this is weird, but I had my son, I don't know, I was 21, 22 years old, 22, I think, when I had my son. So um, the dope thing about having a kid that early, you kind of get to grow up with them and yeah. <laughs> you are close enough. I mean, you're far enough away to be their parent, but you're close enough in terms of decades to remember yep. your experience kind of when you were their age. So I'm not that old. I don't remember high school, you know, yeah. <laughs> that old when I don't remember college. <laughs> and so one of the things that, you know, I share with him as he was contemplating, so he's going to West point, he chose West point, but he could have went to Princeton, played football there yeah. and um, had a couple of opportunities. And one of the things that he was really concerned with was as he was making his choice, one of the things he was concerned with is how could he position himself to succeed uh, the best, you know, you when school was over. Yeah. And I'm like, and one of the things I wanted to say to him is, and I feel like by God's grace, I went to some pretty good schools. Yeah. I said to him, son, listen, there's some people who went to my school who did not make the most of that opportunity. It is not always ah. where you go. Yes. I went there. There you go. Right. It yeah. is not where it's yeah. not where you go. Yeah. Bro, they got people sleeping in class. Whatever college you go to, somebody's sleeping in class. <laughs> Show do. Yeah. We've been lectures in Princeton, people on the internet. I'm like, fam, you playing playing Candy Crush on the phone, bro. Like so, so yeah. So I told him, I was like, man, you go where you feel you go where you feel like uh it is the best choice and the best decision for you. Yes. And if you kill it wherever you are, yes. greatness can't be hidden. Yes, sir. Wherever you are, yes. greatness can't be hidden. So we aren't we aren't in any way minimizing the impact of schools and things of that nature, but we do Absolutely. need to debunk some myths. Come on, man. That's saying certain schools equate to success. And I went to some of those schools and I'm saying, absolutely not. It is what you do with it. It's yeah. how you develop yourself. Um, so whether it's a HBCU, which I'm all for, yeah. or yeah. whether it's a yeah. community college into a state school or whether it's a trade, man, you, yeah. you, you name it. Yeah. You I think that's, it. It's so important. And that's good coming from a guy of your caliber who went to the Ivy League schools yeah. because I've met some people who went to the same Ivy League schools. One of my good friends went to Harvard and he says, no, the best education is Harvard. And he was so serious. If you don't go to Harvard, then you will not be as successful as me. And I'm like, that's something that we have to stop saying to our young people, because when they hear that from men of y'all's caliber, that's they're thinking that in their head. Yeah. So. Yeah. Appreciate so, you for saying that. Oh, a hundred percent. So here, I want to get your thoughts on this because this is what's dope, Anthony. You not only work with young people in the money space. Yeah. You've also done you, And this is how I got introduced to you. You work with them in the ministry space. Absolutely. 
So I think yeah. one of the things that's really important. So there is a crisis. I'm seeing it in adults and I'm like, we got to fix this sooner. So this is me as a spiritual leader speaking. Then I'm seeing a clarity crisis in adults when it mm. comes to an inability to accurately discern what you're supposed to do with your life. Yes. That's huge. Yeah. And I'm huge. I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you. And it's like, man, you don't want to be close to the end of your life before you're figuring it out. So here's my question to you, because you talked about people going to school and getting degrees that they might not use, et cetera. And, you know, I, I guess sometimes that happens. But the point that I'm making is, what do you think that we can do? Because you've worked with young mm-hmm. people. What can we, or yeah. here's, here's my question. I'll frame it this way. Do you think we should be dealing with a purpose question sooner? Yes. Like, I don't even know if we're in, in youth ministry. I don't even know if we're asking those kind of questions to kids. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Bam, when you go to school and you're picking a major, yeah. Kind of want to know that. Listen, man, I had the, the great opportunity to work for uh, Bishop Rudolph McKissick Jr. there in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and one of the things that really helped the ministry grow to the magnitude that it grew at was what Sundays was all spiritual, but mm-hmm. Wednesdays, Bishop McKissick allowed me to go practical with a spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. So I didn't preach on Wednesdays. We talked about life and mm-hmm. it was about purpose. Uh, you know, what is it that you want to do? Let's, let's talk about what are your gifts? What are your talents? How do we combine these two? And what's the best career path? Um, we would bring in different uh, college advice different counselors to kind of help pull that out of them to give them some different ideas uh, I want to give this website to young pe- uh, to parents right now listening it's a practical thing to where if you have a child go to this website immediately and it's called findyourcalling.com mm-hmm. uh, your calling is not from a spiritual perspective no it gives them it's going right. to take them through a quick test and when they take this test it's going to tell them different kind of career fields that they may enjoy with the answers of the those tests. Mm-hmm. And so I would send my kids to that website every single Wednesday. So listen, let's just figure out what you're doing. What is your purpose in life? And man, you will be surprised of how many of my young people come back to me now and say, Anthony, thank you so much for that. Because now I found out that with me enjoying to do A, that I should do B, C. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. So it's that is a conversation that I believe that every parent, every youth pastor, every pastor, every young person or every anybody who really wants to help a young person start identifying that early on. Start talking to your teachers. Hey, when you're at uh, school with my son, with my daughter, what do you see? What are you noticing that I may not see yeah. at the house and have that conversation together and, and start exposing your kids to that? And that's one thing I told my kids to do. Ask your parents, what do you see in me? Because you all are ahead of me and you can see where I'm going. Ask your teachers, what do you see in me that I don't see in me? Mm-hmm. Um, ask your peers, because sometimes your peers see a different side of you than both your parents and your teachers. And then see what everyone around you says and then figure out what that is when you figure out what that is you can really somewhat start to see what your purpose is and what you're really gifted at and so um i've been doing youth ministry for years um and still doing a little bit of it now with my local church here in nashville at washington grove baptist church uh, with dr Faison. and so uh, man i have a heart for it but i really want to help young people not just find out their their purpose in life from a career perspective but also what's their calling um, and help them be successful early on not waiting until they turn 35 40 years old and start taking their life seriously 
And listen, as you were talking, I just got, I got an idea as a spiritual leader about that. I, I do, man, it's, it's, I'm going to tell you why it jumped out to me when you talked about life. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I wrote down, I, I take notes during my devotional time. I do my own um, customized version of something called the daily office. And so I just jot down a thought from everything that I'm reading. And one thing I was reading this parenting book yesterday. And one of the things I, I jotted down is that a parent should be not only a spiritual mentor, but a life coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, teaching the kid the requisite skills that they're going to need to succeed in life. Man, I yes. think that's a, so now we're talking a lot about college and the next generation and things of that particular nature. Let's go down to one more subcategory, right? And let's, so let's go. And and that is kind of the African American demographic. <laughs> so you recently um mentioned well, you mentioned to me that you recently came across this study about like wealth disparities. Yes. And man, when you threw those numbers out, I almost fell out of my seat. I mean, <laughs> I was expecting, <laughs> no, straight up. I was expecting a disparity. I wasn't expecting that big of a wealth disparity in this country. So um, could would you please just share with our audience what you share, what you share with me, and then just your ideas on what we yeah. need to do about it. Man, let's let's yeah, let's 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 do that, man, because it's been heavy on my heart. Um, so Yale and Northwestern University uh, did a study uh, mm-hmm. between Caucasians, Latinos and African-Americans. And so what's so funny is you said you weren't expecting uh, that difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they did the study, they asked a question before they gave them the answers. They said, hey. What do you think the difference is between African-Americans and Caucasians? So. White people said, oh, there's probably like a 30% difference between us and them when it comes to wealth. So here are the numbers. The median net worth, net worth, this is not income. I really want to make sure this is clear. Net worth, which is assets, money in the bank, what you have access to. Uh, Medium net worth of American families. The average white person's net worth is $130,800. African-Americans, $9,590. So when you really do the math, when they broke it down, they said um, researchers at Yale and Northwestern University estimated that for every $100 in wealth in a white family, black families hold $5.04. Wow. Scary. It's definitely scary. And, and man, we can go so many different ways to why this is the case, what happened from 400 years ago, we can go way back, but this is your podcast. I'm going to let you go there on your podcast. Uh, But I think for me, you know, I think what we have to do as African-Americans while we're fighting other battles and making sure that we're uh, creating some policy changes, I believe, honestly, we just got to be better stewards with our finances, period. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm focusing on is uh, I need to control what I can control. Yeah. You know, and and let's just be real. While the af- average African-American has nine thousand dollars in wealth, I don't want to die with only what the average white person have, which is one hundred and sixty. Yeah. I, I need more than that, because here's why studies show that when you retire, when you get into your 70s and 80s, you're going to need at least two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars just for your health benefits. So not to li- live, wow. just to be healthy. And so. That that alone right there shows me that the world, we have to get 
better when it comes to our finances. We have to start investing earlier on. Uh, we have to stop investing into material things and start investing into um, uh, land, property, um, 401ks, Roth IRAs, mutual funds. We have to start, uh, even for our young people, opening up uh, 529s to get them into college without debt. There, we have to really start thinking about the future yes. and not just thinking about uh, the present. Now, I'm yeah. all for nice things. I built a beautiful home. I drive a nice car. But before I did all that, Pastor, man, I had a lot of money in my savings and a lot of money invested into my future yeah. uh, because I, I'm just a very big advocate of that, even to the point to where here's something that I teach. I want to get your thoughts on this because you you marry people all the time. I'm single man. And I, and I talk a lot to the singles. Hmm. And I'm telling single men, like, hey, we got to step up. And I'm telling single men, get your finances right. Go on ahead. If you know you want to be married, go on ahead and start saving for the ring now before you even meet her. Right. Before you meet her. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Just, before, just start saving for it. So it's like I get a lot of pushback from some people saying, well, why am I saving for the wing now? I can be doing ABC because one, I believe speak what I seek. Um, mm -hmm. And so I seek marriage. And so when I find my wife, I want to be able to have the ring, have the money to buy the ring whenever God gives me the blessing and permission to propose. And then also I step further. I even started even saving for the wedding. I'm like, okay, cool. So this way, when I propose, I'm trying to do it right. So I'm not trying to look for a year in engagement. I want to go ahead and say, you got three months and get it out the way. But I believe it's about creating a solid foundation. So that way, men, when we come to the table, we're going to come to the table with baggage, but at least finances and our spiritual walk should not be an issue at all Yeah, because that's taken care of. And then I thought you said, I, I thought you said so much, it was combustible so much in a good way. So much, so much as you said that I feel like we could, we could tackle, you know, one of the things that I want to just affirm that I agree with 100% is that the two prong approach that African-Americans need to take when it comes to finances. Now, so the, even the civil rights movement had a three stages. So there was supposed to be um, political participation mm -hmm. and social integration. And the economic emancipation. There we you go. Know, even Dr. King was assassinated. Most people don't even know. He was in Memphis. He was like advocating for a raising of wages of like, I think, garbage workers or something like that. The poor people's campaign, yep. all of these kinds of things. He understood the importance of that. So there has to be a two prong approach to this. One lane is, yes, we need to deal with the sociological factors that are contributing mm -hmm. to some of this disproportionate economic wealth that exists in the African-American community. So. That's just a reality. That's facts. That's stats. Yes. That's data. But on the flip side, you cannot hold your breath waiting for that to change for you to win. Come on. You can't. So that's that's what I'm teaching my boys. Right. I want my two boys yeah. to, yeah. hey, fight for change with the sociological issues. But then you got to also take personal responsibility because you can't wait for all of that to get fixed in order for you to win. Now, on, as a man. person of faith, which I am, and um which you are, that gives us yeah. more incentive for that because we believe no obstacle can stop what God has for us. So that no weapon that's formed against us shall prosper includes whatever sociological disadvantages we may find ourselves in and at. So I'm with you 100% there. I know people yeah. hear that and say, no, we got to deal with, no fam, we got to deal with them both. And, uh, <laughs> really? Get, yeah. Yeah, those, really? Are, those are just facts. So I'm with you 100% on that.
one thing I like about you, Dr. D, is I, I hear it from you is you don't want your son, your children to start where you started. You're no. setting them up to start where you finish. Yeah. And I think that is something that, especially within our culture, we really have to think about that. You want your child to start where you finish. I have nephews. Um, and as soon as Theo was born, I told my family, hey, we're opening up a 529 form right now. I will do it. I will invest into it. Uh, because I want my nephews to start where their parents and their uncle finish uh, because I don't want them to start where we started from because that's unfair. I believe privilege is good. I believe privilege is good. But how we use, how we steward the privilege, I believe that's where we go wrong. at. And so I want my kids and people connected to me to have privilege. So yeah. going I had, to the I practical, had a guy, I, want to I had a guy send me a message. I, you know, I do a lot of not a lot, but I've been doing, I've been leaning into this area of race and race reconciliation talk about it sociologically and theologically. And I did this little talk or whatever on IG on Twitter on uh, uh, privilege and someone reached out to me and said, Hey, you went to Princeton. That's privilege. And I was like, yeah, it is. It, is. it was, I was like, I had a dad in a home too. Um, right. That's, that's, I mean, I had nothing to do with that. I didn't earn, I worked hard, but there are other people that work hard that didn't have the opportunity. I was like, yeah. So my job, is not to lose mine. It is to use mine to make life more equitable for someone else. 100%. That's how everybody who has privilege should use that. It's, it's such a bad word in our culture. People get so offended by it, you know, especially along race lines. I'm like, yo, I'm saying I'm a male that gives me some privilege. What am I supposed to, I'm supposed to use it, use it so that what I'm experiencing, everybody else has. So I think that's dope here. Let's turn the corner here as we prepare to wrap up. You mentioned a lot of things and you know, there's a scripture that says people perish for lack of knowledge. Now, I just know there were just certain things I didn't know. And yeah. this is what's scary. Gotcha. I'm going to say this, and this is not, I'm a spiritual leader. So of course I love church, but I'm going to say right. this. All right. Yeah. Oh, this is about to be kind. I don't know if I've ever said this out loud. Most <laughs> of the stuff that I needed to learn about life, I had to yeah. learn outside the church. Isn't that sad, man? And I'm not saying I didn't learn it from Christians. Some of, a lot of people are Christian. Right. But I had to learn yeah. it outside of the church. There were just certain yeah. things I didn't know. So anyway, yeah. um, what would you say in your dealings with people when it comes to just finance? Mm-hmm. What are just some things that come to your mind in your dealings with people that, that you see, okay, this is a trend. People yeah. don't know this. They don't know to yeah. do this or they don't know that these kinds of things are available. What are some yeah. of those things? Cause you don't know what you don't know until you get introduced. Right. To um, number one thing is budgeting. You know, I, every time I sit down with someone specifically the twenties and thirties, when I mention the word budget, they look at that as it's a, it's a law. It's, it's, that's a horrible thing. Mm. You're broke. If you're budgeting, you don't mm. have money. If you're budgeting, um, I, one of my videos went viral a couple of weeks ago with me telling a young lady that that was out of my, budget to take her to this restaurant. And she said, I was broke. I said, no, I'm just wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, uh, budgeting is one. And so uh, the number one tool for budgeting, in my opinion, is an app called every dollar. Uh, this particular app, it is free. Um, and you can go to every and it's going to literally walk you through. It's going to ask you everything. And here's what I love about every dollar is that it's going to ask you the very first thing is how much money do you make on every week or biweekly or whatever your paycheck is? 
Next question is, it's going to tell you, take out 10% because you're tithing. It, it is a Christian-based app. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's going to walk you through. It's going to ask you questions. What's your rent? What's your mortgage? What's your car note? What's this? What that? How much debt? And then at the end of it, it's going to tell you, all right, you have $40 left to budget or you're over by $50 on your budget. It's going to show you everything to make right. sure that it's there. So budgeting uh, is the number one thing that I suggest. Number two, when it comes to children, I, I said this before, uh, I said this earlier, 529. When I mentioned 529, I'm like, what is that? What yeah. is that? Especially uh, to minority individuals. So like, yeah. what, what, what is a 529? Well, a 529 is a college plan that allows you to invest. If you just put $1,200 um, in that, this account a year for, let's say, for a period of 15 to 18 years, you can have anywhere between eighty dollars to $120,000 in the account, depending on when you start that money. Mm-hmm. The average in-state four-year program will cost you about a hundred thousand dollars to get your child into school so if you did it earlier on you're going to have about a hundred hundred and hundred and twenty so that means now it's it's there let mm-hmm. me tell you the trick uh, the parents don't have to put all 1200 so like in my nephew's account parents put money in there i put money in there the grandparents put money in there so what i do is i don't give out christmas gifts and birthday gifts i put money into their investment so that when they graduate wow. high school they're saying, thank you, Uncle Anthony. They may wow. not like me today on those yeah. days, but when they graduate with $100,000 paid for college, it's, it's great. And here's the thing with that account. It passes down to every kid. So if you have three and they don't use all the money, you can pass that money on down. So 529 is one. And then right now, here's the number one tool, because we can't give everything away on your podcast today. Mm-hmm. Um what changed my money when it came to finances and how I look at the word stewardship, how I how I got out of debt, how I started building my wealth, um, even what, what got me into giving more. Um, uh, it's called Financial Peace University. Mm-hmm. And Dr. D, you know, it's my mentor, Dave Ramsey. Yeah, and right now it. we're giving it. Yeah. Y'all have gone through it and oh, we're yeah, giving away for free. Yeah. We're giving it away for free right now for 14 days. So they can go to uh, DaveRamsey.com forward slash hope. And for 14 days, his nine classes, go in there and watch this with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, uh, your kids. I'm on there. Dave Hogan's on there. Not Dave Hogan, <laughs> but Dave Ramsey, Chris yeah. Hogan, Rachel Cruz. And yeah. we're talking about everything. And it's free. Yeah. Free. <laughs> Anthony, you've given out some gold mines today. Listen, you mentioned a few websites. I want you to repeat those because they're great resources for people. Um, So you mentioned Find Your Calling. Yeah, findyourcalling.com. That will help identify uh, what are some gifts and talents that your kids could like. And it will help. It'll give them hundreds of um, um, uh, job opportunities. Got it. And you, you mentioned another one. I don't know if it was... Every dollar app or something along those lines. It's um, go to every dollar, uh, every dollar dot com. Yeah. And you mentioned one more, the financial peace, financial peace university, go to Dave Ramsey.com forward slash hope. Got it. Listen, thank you so much. Listen, where can the people find you? Listen, I know they definitely need to find you on IG because it is more than entertaining. You're doing more than posting pictures of what you're eating. I mean, you give people a, an inside view into your life, but it's very, very, <laughs> use, use your platform to educate yeah. and transform people. I think it's dope from relationships to money to whatever. Where can we find you? 
Oh, man. Yeah. If you go to anthonyoneal.com, you can find a lot of resources there specifically for that millennial young person, even down to students. Uh, But if you really want to get on this journey to where we're having this conversation, you can see other young people who are paying off debt, building wealth, starting businesses. And then we have experts on like like yourself and uh, just interviewed uh, one of my good friends, Trent Shelton. Uh, We're really having a conversation on YouTube on my new show. Go to Anthony O'Neill there on YouTube and IG. Anthony O'Neill. So everything's at Anthony O'Neill and you'll find some amazing content there to inspire, inspire you to go after your goals. Yeah. Listen, everybody, it's great stuff. I highly, highly recommend that. And so if that means something to you, trust me on there. Anthony, listen, man, thank you so much. Blessings to you and all that you're doing. Your books destroy your student loan debt debt free degree i encourage everybody to get it and connect with you you are a much needed voice in our culture for being on my show thank you so much man Well, it's time for the Ask Dr. Darius section of the Darius Daniels podcast, where I have the privilege of interacting with you and answering some of the questions that come in to us almost every day. Thank you for sending in questions. I want you to continue to do that. Any question you have about anything, something you're interested in hearing me answer or an issue you're dealing with in your life. Darius Daniels on Instagram, Darius Daniels on Twitter. And um, hey, we're going to get to as many of them as we can. And hopefully we'll be answering your questions soon. I've got a few that have come in that I've selected for today and I want to try to answer them. The first one comes from Tiffany and Tiffany says, I'm currently studying for my nurse practitioner boards. She's taking them in July. Let's go, Tiffany. Let's get it. This is why my boyfriend is feeling pretty discouraged about his questionable career path. I've been trying to support him by being there to encourage and to lift him up, but it's not always effective. I've encouraged him to use this time as an opportunity to rediscover past career dreams and possibly reinvent himself. This is all taking a toll on our relationship and has revealed some covered insecurities on his end. My question for you is, how can I better support and be there for him without losing my focus in what I'm doing? Any advice? Well, first of all, I think it's dope. I think it's in important. I think it's incredible that you're demonstrating this kind of empathy for him. And the reason that I think that's important is because some people assume that areas like empathy are automatically developed once a person gets married. So they think that the ring or a wedding ceremony transforms who you are. Marriage doesn't change people. It gives you an opportunity to change. Sometimes it puts a demand on you to change. Uh, but the first thing marriage does is, is it exposes who you are before it gives you an opportunity to change it. So the fact that you already have empathy is important. I think that's dope. And so my two cents in terms of this dilemma would be this. It would be to affirm him while advancing yourself. Affirm him while advancing yourself. You ceasing to passionately pursue your sense of calling and purpose you've worked so hard for to be to being a nurse practitioner, that is in no way you failing to pursue your calling is not going to help him clarify his. I'll just put it that way. You failing to pursue your calling is not going to help him clarify his. Um, it may make him feel better temporarily, 
but that's like putting a Band-Aid on something that needs stitches. He's probably dealing with some realistic disappointment. I don't know if the pandemic has affected his employment or if he's just in a season where he feels like he needs to pivot and he's not sure what direction he wants to go into. And that can be a really, really disconcerting time for a man. I can't even explain how that makes a man feels. feel. So whatever he is expressing to you, I just want you to imagine he's probably feeling a lot worse than that. But you failing to pursue what you're clear on is in no way going to help him become clear. So I think it's important that you affirm him verbally, speak to the greatness on, that's on the inside of him. A proverb says, flattering lips work with ruin. So don't lie. <laughs> tell, 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 the, tell the truth because you don't want to lie. You don't want to try to solve one problem by creating another one. Right. So you want him to believe you. And, and if he feels like you're being disingenuous, it kind of undermines your ability to speak into his life. But that's what I would do. I would just affirm. I would advise. I would coach whenever he invited me into that space. I would comfort when he needs comfort. And then I would recognize my limitations. I am not God. So you do what you can do. And then God has to do what you can't. Affirm him constantly and consistently. You may say, oh, I've already been doing that. That's all you can do. And then advance yourself because some jobs are jobs for God. Hope that helps. Tiffany, kill, crush those boards. Let me know the results when you get them. Shoot me a message and let me know. Okay, this next message comes in from Michael. This is what Michael asks. Okay, who do you think will win the NBA championship? Well, this is going to be really interesting, Michael. This is going to be really interesting. You know, first of all, you know, people got mixed feelings about whether or not they should be playing. So some of the players were on a call with Kyrie Irving. He's one of many that have some concern that playing these NBA games are going to take the attention away from some of the social justice initiatives that uh, people are trying to work on and get past immediately. Obviously, we can't fix issues of racism and, and injustice immediately, but some players are recognizing that there is a unique groundswell of support for some reform in some key and critical areas. And they want to make sure they're taking advantage of that and want to make sure that they are consistently challenging the NBA as an organization to keep investing into the communities that these players come from. And I get that. I support that. And uh, I understand what they're saying. I do think, though, on the flip side that uh, you didn't ask me this, Michael, but I'm giving you my two cents. (laughs) I do think on the flip side, though, it's when you think about what some of the players actually do in their communities, the foundations that they start, the donations that they make, the family members that they help, the businesses that they support. I do think it's also incredibly important that you take that into consideration when it comes to whether or not they should restart the season. There are going to be hundreds of people whose livelihood is in, impacted based on whether or not these players go back. You got trainers, you got press, you got so many different departments and compartments that it takes to make this thing work. And um, with the players not playing, there is limited visibility. Frankly, the only visibility that they, they have is their social media accounts. But I think them playing games and having access to the press is going to give them an opportunity to continue to speak to these issues. So I think it's up to them and how they use this time. That's going to determine whether or not 
uh, this social justice emphasis and attention goes away. I, I, I'm thinking that they're going to take advantage of it. So I think they're going to play. I see why I agree with them playing. And I think with it being such a short time period, I think the Clippers are going to win. I want LeBron to win. And you guys know, I think Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Right now, I'm wearing a shirt that's got 23, the GOAT on the back. I think Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. But man, LeBron James to me is the greatest or the most important athlete of my generation. The social impact that he's made from the I Promise school to his willingness to use his voice to speak on these issues. I want that brother to win another one. But because the season is short, abbreviated season, listen, that means they don't really have to do a lot of low management with Kawhi Leonard. I just think in a seven game series, fam, I'm sorry. I think the Clippers got a deeper bench. I think they got a better coach. And I think they're going to win. I hope I'm wrong. I'm rocking with the Clippers, though. So help that hope that helped, Michael. Okay. Adolfo asks this, what conversations helped your wife overcome the idea of not wanting to marry a preacher? So if you listened to last week's episode, uh, you know what he's talking about. If you didn't, please listen to it. We talk about marriage, dating, and everything in between with my amazing wife. Um, and she is amazing to me. I, I know a lot of husbands say that, man. I mean it. My amazing wife, Shamika Daniels. Anyway, uh, when we were dating, well, before we were dating, she, there was like this group of this list of people she didn't want to marry, like athletes and preachers were on there too. But anyway, uh, the answer to your question, bro, is that I didn't have. <laughs> I did. It wasn't a conversation. I just think, uh, yeah, I, I think whatever it was, I just think it was our relationship. And, uh, you know, I think people can have perceptions and ideas about what life is going to be like with a certain kind of person. And that may be true for a lot of people, but that's not the case for all people. Some people don't represent the dominant whatever. So I didn't know. I don't know if she thought preachers were going to be preaching sermons to her all day long or what. I'm not sure what some of the hesitancy was. I, I never really got into that with it. I ain't care, bro. You want me or you don't. But anyway, um, I didn't. So here's my advice. My advice is just to um, is to be yourself. And if you're willing to consistently be yourself, then what that happens is that dismantles the ideas that your potential spouse may have about what it means to be with a preacher. It dismantles them, dismantles them. And it gives her a prophetic picture of what life will be like with you. That's it. Be you. Now, here are my thoughts. I'm going to drop this and I'm going to move on to the next question. When it comes to marriage, you shouldn't want any relationship that requires you to be someone other than yourself to be in it. If God called you to ministry, not going to send you a mate that wants you to get out of it. Those are my thoughts. Okay, I got one question here from Elizabeth. She says, when do you know when you're ready for marriage? Here are a few things to think through. It's a good question. One is, do you want to? Do you want to? Singleness is not a curse. Marriage is not a right. You don't have to get married. I think even, you know, for the Christian, Paul talks about, hey, he's like, hey, and in the New Testament, he says, hey, if you're able to rock like me, you're able to exercise self-control and manage yourself responsibly, he's like, uh, that's fine. So one, the question is, do you want to? All right. Then two, 
Are you ready to, are you ready to merge your life? Are you ready? Are you personally at the place? Not have you met the person. Are you personally at the pl- at the place in your own life where you, where you are ready to merge your life with another? Where you're ready to collaborate on decisions? Where you're ready to consider other people in the decisions that you make? Financial decisions, career decisions. Because when you're single, what you do with your career affects you and those that you're responsible for. When you're married, what you do with your career affects your partner. You got to take that into consideration. So that's it. Um, Three, have you found the person that you want to collaborate in life with? Here's the deal. Marriage is not just about two lovers getting together. You do more than share love. You share a life together. So you go from being simply lover, you know, people who are in love with each other. (laughs) For the religious people get on me, what you mean lover before marriage, preacher? No. (laughs) You go from people just being in a relationship with each other. <laughs> you go from people being in a relationship with each other to uh, life partners, your business partners, your roommates, your co-parenting together. Have you found a person you want to do life? Not just make love to. It's important. Mm. And are you healthy enough? Are you a whole person? W-H-O-L-E. Whole person. Emotionally healthy enough. To become one with someone else. Relationships don't break themselves. People break them. No such thing as a broken relationship. People break them. And sometimes we don't break them because we're bad. We break them because we're broken. Okay, last but not least, one more question here. This came in from Terrell. This is a doozy. I'm going there, brother. You ask it. I'm answering. What do you think about Louis Giglio's comments on white blessing? So here it is. I listened to that interview and I think what Louis Giglio is doing, it's clear to me, is he's recognizing the controversial nature of the word privilege and was attempting to figure out another word that can be used with people that are so caught up on the word. Why did I get aggressive there? That are so caught up on the word that they won't even explore the concept. I think that was his attempt. Now, he issued an apology, which I think he should have, because the word blessing was not the right choice of words. Uh, I think, so I think it was a misstep in saying that. However, this is tough, but if we want people to pivot and change, and I've only met him briefly, so I don't know him. I can't speak to his character. I know I followed his ministry for a while and uh, I would have liked for him to be a little more vocal on some of these issues before, but that doesn't mean he's not doing work that I don't know about. I don't know. So I think, you know, if we want people to grow and to change, you got to understand people are going to make missteps like this, especially if these aren't conversations that he's been having or concepts that he's been familiar with. People are going to make missteps like that. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying it's going to happen. And when they, when they get it and when they apologize, we got to forgive and help them pivot because they're trying. You know, some of them may be jumping into the party late and so they got some catch up to do. But I, as I listen to that, I'm really sensitive towards stuff like that. And as I listen, I was like, nah, uh, he's trying to find another word that is definitely the wrong word. White blessing is definitely the wrong word. <laughs> um, but the heart of what he was trying to do is I think he's trying to be a pragmatist and say, man, there are some people that we're trying to talk to that are just so up in arms about the word privilege. Can we just find another way to get them to see 
the the issue of inequity that exists in our country. So I think that's the heart of what he was getting at. And and he and uh, it was the wrong choice of words. Uh, I think what have what should have been helpful if he talked through that concept with someone prior to saying that publicly, his friends failed him. Um, so either he didn't have some diverse friends that were in that conversation with him or he did and they failed him because somebody black should have told him fam let's find another word that one's not quite it yeah but man no i don't think let's not cancel louis he's trying even if you feel like bro you came to the party late he's trying and they're gonna make missteps and we don't want people to be so afraid of making a misstep that they never tackled an issue. We can't alienate allies in this fight for justice. And so if he's an ally, then we need to educate him, have some empathy for him, uh, help him pivot and help help him get it right. I think that was a sincere mistake. I really do. Those are my thoughts. And y'all know how I feel about this race and justice stuff. Anyway, Hey, if you got questions, I want you to send them to me at Darius Daniels on Instagram, at Darius Daniels on Twitter. Who knows? Next week, we may be answering yours. That's our time for today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Darius Daniels podcast. Please download, subscribe, and rate, and share. Download, subscribe, rate, and share. It helps us reach as many people as possible. We'll see you next week with another episode of the Darius Daniels podcast. Take care. Relevant Podcast Network.